Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. George Washington's birthday is looming large, coming near. And how do we know this? Well, because if you watch television, you see all the advertisements for Washington's birthday sale. Just as there was for, they just call it President's you know, Day, pertaining to Lincoln and Washington, who were relegated from having days devoted <laughs> to honor them to being lumped together with all the rest of the presidents of the United States of America. So President's Day sales are going like wildfire right now. But in Nevada, there are bigger fish to fry. In Nevada, the caucuses of the Democrat Party loom almost as a specter. It reminds me, perhaps you remember the Peanuts comic strip and Pigpen. And everywhere Pigpen went, There was this cloud of dust and dirt and what have you. Oh, how that reminds me of the Democrat Party. But we are on the verge of having the opportunity to vote for one of these stellar Democrat candidates, not just in the caucuses and primaries, but in the general election. It is so exciting. Now, Mikey Bloomberg, whom I referred to the other day, the scuttlebutt about there being this dream team, this nightmare team of Michael Bloomberg and Hillary Rodham Clinton, It is just breathtaking. But Mikey does not get a bite at the apple in Nevada. But fear not, there is another billionaire who has very, very heavily invested in Nevada in winning the caucuses there, Tom Steyer. Now, Tom hasn't made any waves thus far in Iowa or New Hampshire, but look for him to perhaps manage to stir things up a bit in terms of the Democrat caucus results in Nevada. Meanwhile, Mikey Bloomberg is hard at it, spending fabulous amounts in South Carolina and the Super Tuesday states. So... Very soon now, we will have two billionaires front and center here in the Democrat primaries. Can't wait. But what what is it that causes this illustrious major party to be referred to by many inside the beltway and outside the beltway of Washington, D.C., as being the evil party. 
Well, there are a number of factors. One is their absolutely, utterly evil agenda, which goes back many decades now. It pertains to the command and control exerted over the party so that people of faith, people of conscience, people who do not agree with this evil agenda very, very, very rarely ascend to the upper rungs of the party. They usually are prevented from ever really getting a start, from becoming a mayor of a major city, from becoming a governor of any state, from becoming a congressman, a United States congressman from any state, usually. But there are possible exceptions. Take a state that is a Democrat stronghold, but doesn't totally buy into all of the Democrat agenda. I do believe it is possible every now and then for a person to succeed in such circumstances. Now, normally, the Democrat Party takes care of that problem by running their own candidates against those people. One, to prevent them from ever taking office. Two, to knock them out of office if they do obtain to office. And three, to run various candidates very well endowed with finances against them should they attempt to seek higher office. I probably incorrectly view Joe Manchin as being out of step with the evil agenda of the Democrat Party. He's been, you know, a Democrat fixture for a while now, so it, it is hard to imagine, But and I'm probably giving him too much credit, but I happen to think that he's not the usual Democrat. More akin to what is referred to as a blue dog Democrat. Again, Democrats from areas that are heavily Democrat, where it is very, very excruciatingly difficult to be elected to high office without being in the Democrat Party, but where the constituency does not totally embrace all of the evil agenda of the Democrat Party. Now, we have exciting things coming our way, don't we? But again, what is it that causes the Democrat Party to be viewed, and rightly so, as the evil party? While the Republican Party is viewed by these same people as being the stupid party. Now, I've referred to these parties variously. The Republican is also that it could be referred to as the corrupt party. And the Democrat party is the party of corruptors, the corrupting party, which is what it's 
absolutely dedicated to and what it has fought for for many decades, to corrupt, subvert, pervert, and destroy this nation, to undermine the Christian pinnings of this nation. But there is the evil agenda. There is the command and control exerted over this party to see to it that this Democrat party is homogeneous evil. (laughs) Purporters of evil, espousers of evil. Those who are proponents and champions of evil. But they purport that it is good, that it is charitable, that it is kind, that it is loving, that it is democratic, that it is for liberty and fraternity and equality like the bloody French revolutionists way back when at the same general time as the official founding of this nation. But it's also their modus operandi, how they operate, which is absolutely wicked. Engaging in massive character assassination. If you've been on the ground, involved with any campaigns in the past, many decades, you see this. They attack the opponents with all manner of character assassination and they attack them on the ground by way of tearing down and destroying and vandalizing massive amounts of political signage, advertising, and what have you. But engaging in the kind of advertising that Lyndon Baines Johnson, late president of the United States of America, used, employed to defeat Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater, who was a godly, honorable, courageous man, but a flawed man. And as he got on in years, he managed to come under some less than godly influence and to stand for some things that he should not have and would not have previously. But the Republican Party, sadly, has really been the weak party, refusing to stand up to the Democrat Party, refusing to really go at them hard, instead being the nice party, being the nicer than nice party. Oh, they're not viewed that way, of course, because of the character assassination from the Democrats. But nonetheless, being the nice party, the charitable party, the gentlemanly party, the Marcus of Queensbury 
rules of political engagement party. And this was true with Richard Milhouse Nixon. Refusing to contest the stolen election. Stolen by John Kennedy's operatives. But once upon a time, again, going back many years, not that far, but many years, there was a man whom I've referred to before. And he b- happened to die very tragically, but before his death, when he was hale and hearty, he made a name for himself and became the most hated man by the Democrat Party. Why? Because he refused to use the Marcus of Queensbury rules. Because he fought the Democrats toe-to-toe. Lee Atwater. No, he never obtained to office, to high office, to highest office. He was a political operative. And he virtually, single-handedly enabled George Herbert Walker Bush to succeed Ronald Reagan as president. George Herbert Walker Bush, who had seriously undermined Ronald Reagan's endeavors by stacking the federal administration with his people who were loyal to him and who were disloyal to Reagan. Ronald Reagan, one of his many bad decisions, and he made many good ones, very many good ones, and had Outstanding convictions. Compared to. (laughs) Your typical president. And morals and mores and decency and goodness. But he made any number of very bad decisions. And selecting. George Herbert Walker Bush as vice president was one of them. This after he came within a hair's breadth of choosing Gerald Rudolph King Ford. But Lee Atwater, he did not campaign the way that Republicans were supposed to campaign. And he was hated. And feared. I would use the term respected. But the evil respect no one. They hate and fear. And then they are variously collegial with their fellow evil ones. But they didn't respect Leotwater Leotwater was feared, and then he died after he had gotten George Herbert Walker Bush elected president before 
he could manage to fight to get him reelected against Bill Bubba, big guy Clinton, William Jefferson Clinton. But along came a fellow whom I have never respected nor appreciated, certainly not admired. Donald Trump, Sr. And he took a page out of Lee Atwater's playbook, giving no quarter to the Democrats, just going after them hard and heavy. But he began by doing this against honorable decent Republican candidates. And that (laughs) should have spelled the end for Donald Trump. But it didn't. Should have, but didn't. But then, once having secured the nomination... He continued on, rolled on against Hillary Rodham Clinton and the Democrat Party and the Democrat machine. Hear, hear. The evil party has engaged in what they could to try to take down the president and to try to undermine him and wound him and malign him and so forth. Well, he gives them a great deal of ammunition to work with. Yes, he does. (laughs) But they failed to take him down. But the reason that they tried the way they did, it's not that they were offended by his corruption. No. The Democrat Party is pervasively corrupt, but not just corrupt, but corrupting, as is seen by candidates for president, such as Pete Buttigieg. But Michael Bloomberg, vile, lewd, profane, but these aren't the only vile, lewd, profane ones, no, It is rampant in the Democrat Party. But the Democrat Party was hoping at the very, very, very least to politically cripple the president. And it appears that they have not. That doesn't mean they will stop. No. But they have to leave that, really, to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and her army of (laughs) worker bees while they contest for the presidency, for the nomination, and then for the general election. 
Now, once upon a time, long ago, and I mean long ago, it came to me that Bill Clinton would be the last president of the United States of America. Now, I have assumed for a long time that that was wrong. And it undoubtedly is wrong. But I felt that, sensed that very strongly. And I may well have been misreading it. (laughs) It may well have been something more along the lines of that he would be in highest political power at the time this nation fell. And could have been other than that, too. But I mention it because, and I assumed then after his departure and Hillary Rodham Clinton's miraculous election to the U.S. Senate in New York State following the tragic, accidental death of John John. John Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr., and his wife and her sister on their way to a family wedding. But perhaps <laughs> it occurred to me that, of course, I mean, Bill, he stated from day one, he stated that Hillary was his co-president, that the United States of America got a twofer. He didn't make a do about that during the election. But once they were in, he let the nation know they had elected Bill and Hillary. Forget about Al Gore. They had elected Bill and Hillary. And that was proven out. Even though we'd, they didn't attempt to vote for Hillary, that was proven out over the next eight years. As she extremely, aggressively, viciously, ruthlessly ran the war room that never stopped. It continued for eight years, the war room machine. No, not pertaining to conflicts abroad, but attacking all accusers of Bill Clinton and savaging them, attacking all of those who opposed induced abortion, savaging them, and bringing laws that were intended to be used against organized crime to be used against people of faith and conscience and charity who opposed induced abortion, to make them felons, and so forth. Wonderful woman, this Hillary Rodham Clinton. They don't come worse than her, nor worse than her hubby. But, of course, then there was Barack Hussein Obama, and they don't come worse than him. But 
It occurred to me, I knew, of course, from the moment she was running for U.S. Senator, it was to use that as a platform from which to run for the president. So she secured that Senate position that Bobby Kennedy had had once upon a time. But, and over the dead body of John John, if you will. (laughs) But, it occurred to me too with regard to her attempts to become president that what was to prevent Bill from becoming Secretary General of the United Nations? Really, what was to prevent that? Precious little, (laughs) very, very little to prevent that. And as Hillary was run off the rails by Barack Hussein Obama, Again, I saw her ascending to Secretary General of the United Nations and using that as a more powerful position than that of the President of the United States. Well, now, here we are. And there's all this rumor mill about the dream team. Michael Bloomberg selecting Hillary Rodham Clinton as his vice president. And guess what? Guess who would tag along? Bill Clinton. If you are aware at all of their history in Arkansas and Washington, D.C., and you are aware at all of what really happened concerning John Fitzgerald Kennedy Sr. And Bobby, you must realize that there would be a possibility, (laughs) a very, 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 very large possibility, probability, that if they make it to the vice president position, it will not be long before they are in the top spot. Before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That's due to me. That's my fault. So, The Democrat Party. The nominee could wind up being one of a handful of people. It absolutely, positively could be determined at the Democrat convention, the Democrat presidential convention. It absolutely could go down to the wire and be determined at that convention. At their Democrat Party strong-arm convention. Absolutely. But with regard to my comments concerning Hillary and Bill, 
and the inadvisability of Mikey Dukakis Bloomberg selecting Hillary as his VP. That's not to say (laughs) that he isn't absolutely terrible, because he is. And it's ironic, isn't it? You know, all of this hashtag Me Too movement, right, about women being sexually abused. And Hillary Rodham Clinton, that champion of women and children, What I saw, the photos I saw of her, she was just glowing seemingly in relation to these rumors about her being possibly tapped for vice president, selected for vice president. After having entered into a marriage of convenience with one the likes of Bill Clinton, For her then to join herself at the hip with one like Michael Bloomberg, it says something about who she really champions. All of her war room years, not just in Washington, D.C. at the White House, but also back in Arkansas. All of that showed exactly what she was. The most vicious of vicious. Definitely would have fit right into the Gestapo in the Third Reich. At the top of the Gestapo. (laughs) But if they had allowed such things. But no... Michael Bloomberg is not exactly a patsy, shall we say. No. Uh, He is a ruthless operator. But it reminds me, I mean, the way he comes across publicly, not privately. Privately, he is a very, very, very different critter indeed. A very different creature. So similar in this sense to a former president whom I have referred to repeatedly, James Earl Carter Jr., Jimmy, trust me, Carter. Oh, all sweetness and light and so (laughs) weak-seeming to the public, but privately known as being absolutely ruthless, ruthless, ambitious politicians. The public man and the private man, very different things. The public persona, a very different thing, a far cry from the reality. So too with Michael Bloomberg and his extreme profaneness and vileness and lewdness. Extreme exploitation of women. But when you're a multi-billionaire, a mega-billionaire, you can get away with a lot. (laughs) A lot. Privately. But 
The Democrat Party has no problems with these kinds of people. Why? Because the Democrat Party is comprised of these. That's why Pete Buttigieg fits right in. He and his hubby fit right in. Sodomites for president. Sodomite and first sodomite. What a leap forward for this nation. I can, I will say that if the Democrat voters are that terrible that they elect him as the nominee, and then if they manage to turn out in sufficient numbers to elect him to president, I cannot imagine him not being the last president of this nation. Sure, something could befall him, you know, but from others who aspire to that position, but, and God could deal with him that way, but no. I think instead God will simply punish the nation. Speaking of what is coming for this nation, I spoke about it the other day. I have any number of times, but in rather mild terms, very understatedly. unlike in other programs that I produce. But, under the Brad Thomas Presents moniker, I have them all listed that way, all titled that way, as Brad Thomas Presents. And then after all is said and done and so forth. The reason that I've done that, purposely done that, is so that anybody and everybody can very simply, easily link them. Not to hide some other programs away and hope other people, people listening to this program won't hear those. No. But to very emphatically link them so my Bible preaching, Bible teaching programs are linked to this program and this program to them. Not just by hyperlinks which there are none of for this program on the Launchpad website. But it's a simple matter. Just pop Brad Thomas Presents into a search bar, an address bar, and you know, you're probably going to get any number of results, definitely including my other programs. So... But again, with regard to what is coming for this nation, 
in the previous program and the program before that, and I believe in the program before that, I made mention of a lovely young woman, Tessa Majors, a teenage girl, 18 years of age, not of color, (laughs) Caucasian, white, fair, a student, a freshman at Barnard College in New York City, who was slaughtered by a young destroyer hell-bent on destroying her. Who robbed her, raped her, committed other acts on her, and repeatedly stabbed her in the torso, upper torso, and through the heart to murder her. This young destroyer, 14 years of age, He'll be 15 in a couple months. So back when this took place, he was 14 and two-thirds. He had an accomplice and there were others. And the New York Police Department commissioner. And one of the DAs or assistant DAs in New York City made statements about justice for Tessa Majors. That this was the announcement of the charges against this young destroyer who was of color and is of color and his accomplice, and the others. That this was a milestone in bringing about justice for Tessa Majors. There is no justice in this nation. Thanks to the evil party, the Democrat party, And thanks to others, such as Michael Bloomberg, who has held high office mayor of New York City for three terms as a Republican, an extreme leftist Republican. This destroyer is only charged with second-degree murder. It reminds me... And again, there have been so many (laughs) destroyers who've committed heinous butchery and have only been charged with second-degree murder. Because in Michael Bloomberg's state, Bill de Blasio's state, Andrew Cuomo's state, Rudy Giuliani's state, It is almost impossible to be charged with first-degree murder, let alone convicted of it. Because the district attorneys do not seek that. They start off at second-degree murder. And then they work their way down, bargaining down, pleading down. 
Oh, but this is going to bring about justice for Tessa Majors, who was slaughtered at 18 years of age two weeks before Christmas. Vicious, ruthless, monstrous crimes by heinous destroyers do not take a holiday. How could they? These destroyers spit on Christmas. Just as the Democrat Party has championed all manner of devices to undermine Christmas. Make it sparkly holiday. Winter holiday. And so forth. Promote Kwanzaa. And then, of course, the Jews, practicing Jews, observant Jews, in some fashion or other. Observe Hanukkah. But <laughs> it is a very, very, very different thing. These observant or practicing Jews who reject Christ of Christmas as Christ, who reject Jesus Christ. Does that make them evil, those who do that? No. But at the very, very, very least, they are blind, ignorant fools. At the least. But this slaughter of Tessa Majors. Not only the charge. Of second degree murder. And no charges for rape. Even though in the. Police complaint. There were four separate. Charges of first degree. Rape first degree sexual assault, and so forth. First degree sexual act against her, and on it went. And then regular sexual assault, whatever that is. But not a single charge against him for those things. But it reminds me in particular of two particular crimes. Both committed by males of the approximate same age. Both committed by males of color. One, most recently, last year, was committed in a school. It was a particular kind of school. And this creature, who happens to be sodomite, I believe, if I recall correctly. He happened to take a knife to school with which to attack and murder various other male students. Put it in his locker. And then when he was in one of his classes, he got up, he left class, 
went to his locker, got his knife, came back, stabbed two male youths, not of color, shockingly enough. One of them in the heart, whose blood gushed out like out of a fire hydrant that has been opened, died on the spot on the floor of the hallway where he staggered to. The other one survived. So this 15-year-old male of color, and again, I believe, called himself, you know, they're they're perverted terms for sodomite. Charged with second-degree murder at the most. And I don't believe he's even going to be tried as an adult. But hopefully so, but I don't believe so. But at the very most, charged with second-degree murder, and I believe was charged with less than that. And I believe was sent to a juvenile hall for the time being. But then another case, going back a bit further. In the great state of Massachusetts, at a combination junior high high school, I believe, a 15-year-old male of color, is there a pattern here, who had transferred up, whose family had moved to Massachusetts from the great state of Tennessee, was in his math class, I believe. I could be mistaken about that. It could have been another subject. But he was on the soccer team, and he was there, and there was a school break, and everybody left. And his lovely, unmarried teacher, she went to, apparently, the girls' restroom. Why would... I mean... (laughs) I don't understand that. I don't understand her not going to, you know, a break room and restroom for adults. But maybe she was being forced in there at knife point. Or not knife, (laughs) box knife point, maybe. She either was forced in to that restroom at box knife point by him, or she went in and he followed her and attacked her. He brutalized her, he raped her, and then he slashed her throat with the box knife. And while she bled to death, he went and got a large trash receptacle, rolling plastic one, you know. 
and dumped her body in that, rolled her out onto the school grounds, out beyond (laughs) the fields and so forth, dumped her in the beginning of forest or whatever. Meanwhile, a girl had come, had looked into the restroom, saw him raping her, and imagined it was consensual (laughs) and did not go for help. Unbelievable, unimaginable. Should have, you know, pulled a fire alarm, should have done something, run to the principal's office at the very least, did nothing. But anyway, this 15-year-old male of color, he then, after dumping, hiding the body of this precious young woman, whom he had defiled and desecrated and slaughtered torturously. Then he went and he got something to eat and he went to the movie and he went home and so on and so forth. Oh, and students said, well, oh, well, he, you know, he was a nice guy and they were wondering why he wasn't at soccer practice and so forth. So then he was incarcerated, I believe, in a juvenile facility. But I'm not sure of that. But I believe so, initially, that he was. He was charged with second-degree murder. And what did he do? He attacked a woman who was a guard there and attempted to rape and murder her (laughs) before he was stopped. Oh, well. Oh, he deserves a second chance. As I've mentioned before, statistics that I saw, data that I saw decades ago, stated that for a convicted rapist to serve a prison sentence, on average, they have already committed and or been charged eight or nine times before that. Oh, but they deserve a second chance. A second chance to destroy lives. There is no justice in America. Regardless what the president says, regardless what the Democrats say, regardless what the police commissioners say, regardless what the district attorneys say, there is no justice. So what's the problem with that? With no execution of judgment and justice, the problem is this. That God Almighty and His Holy Word, the Holy Bible, attests that those who refuse to avenge the taking of innocent blood, He will absolutely, utterly destroy. This nation has been bled to death for decades and has been suffering monstrous, evil, heinous crimes as judgment from God. Not the ultimate judgment from God, but as judgment from God to turn this nation. But it has not. And it will not. 
and this nation only sinks lower. And judgment from God is coming, overthrowing judgment, tsunami judgment. From outside this nation, with help, a great deal of help from inside this nation. Michael Bloomberg, he could become the nominee. He's one of those controllers, those world controllers behind the scenes. Who knows? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.